0: Welcome back to Labeled, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about where you were in 1992. For instance, I was in the seventh grade, and by that point, I'd yet to even hold a guitar. I had not encountered punk music. I hadn't been to even a concert. I hadn't heard of independent music, and I certainly hadn't heard of Tooth & Nail Records obvious reasons. It'd be founded two years into the future at that point. I hadn't even begun to be involved in Christianity in any meaningful way, but I did know what heavy metal was. I knew it was scary. I knew it was bad. And I knew it was something like satanic. And I knew that because the really bad bullies and delinquents at my school wore Metallica and Slayer shirts. So in 1992, it would have been way, way, way outside of my comprehension that there could be a such thing as Christian metal. Or any kind of music scene like we know today. But that was not the case for Kevin Young, who's pretty close to my age and who that same year played his first show in a Christian metal band called Disciple, a band that's still putting out Christian metal as a ministry today, and who in 2018 signed to Tooth and Nail Records and released a new album called Love Letter Kill Shot. Now, I think this is a quite beautiful illustration of the scene and how it's obviously not limited to just the confines of this record label, but really a testament to the scene itself and Tooth & Nail's continued involvement, support, and development of it. So let's go on ahead and get to know Kevin a little bit. He's pretty cool. I think you're going to like him too. And before we get going, today's show is sponsored by Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? Try Zip Recruiter for free by visiting ziprecruiter.com slash label. So, Kevin, you've had a really long career, but when did you guys start?
1: You know, it just depends on, you know, if what you want to go by Wikipedia or by, like, by, you know, real life, you know. I want to uh, go have, by
0: your opinion. <laughs>
1: well, real, real, our first band practice was in December of 1992. But me and oh the drummer actually started the band, you know, like in sixth grade, seventh grade had our first show in eighth grade of which would have been for me September of 1990. So I oh, was man. what uh, in that I don't know 1990 I would have been 14 was the when I had my first show and in, in a band called Disciple. We had three songs and one of those songs was called Disciple and so we were trying to come up with a cool band name and we couldn't come up with anything. We was like, well, we'll just call ourselves disciple until we find something else. And, um, and we just, we kept searching and kept searching and never found anything. Wow. Third record deal that we signed, we even tried to change our name uh, because Disciple was such a, I guess, not generic, but I guess generic is the right word. Just, you know, it's just an easy word and we, and and they, they wouldn't let us change, (laughs) change the name. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was just meant to be.
0: I think it would have been a mistake to change your name because Disciple is an iconic name in Christian metal. I mean, it's just, I think it's obviously true thank you who else would you say is iconic if you say it's going to throw out who are the Christian metal bands since 1990 who are well they?
1: for me it's, it's for me being an older person it's going to be different mm-hmm. than most people I'm going to say Striper Petra Striper. They're, but they're not metal uh, mm-hmm. but you know White Cross would be mm-hmm. actual metal even though pe- people actual metal a, people that are in their 20s mm-hmm. aren't going to consider that metal but they'd be wrong because it is metal yeah. And it, so,
0: it it is metal and it was metal at the time for sure. It was it was by
1: far metal at the time. It was mm-hmm. so heavier than anything like right after that, you know, is when you really started getting, you know, these bands like believer. You remember them? No. And uh and and like focused and all these mm-hmm. hardcore bands and you know, like that's it, it came later like early 90s I think, you know. But the the late '80s, White Cross was like, you know, I mean, as heavy as it gets, but still very melodic, you know, and tame by today's standards. Very, very tame by today's standards. Sure.
0: Well, so is Cinderella, uh, for that matter. The '80s metal, man, (laughs) what a great.
1: What a great couple albums they had, Cinderella.
0: <laughs> but but if you throw it out there, you said, oh, okay, so Christian metal, I, I'm not yeah. into it. Let's say I can think of. they probably say Striper, uh, Disciple is one. What did it, Bride? I don't know. You know stuff like that. White, bride? Yeah, white did you say bride? Tw- yeah. bride? Yeah. I said Bride. Yeah. Yep.
1: Dude, absolutely.
0: Without even being a fan, that's those are the three I probably would come up with. So. Okay,
1: like for real, I, I, a prayer I prayed in my driveway, you know, as a kid, I was like, God, you know, these are the bands that I want to open up for one day, you know, please let me play a show with these bands. I want to play with Petra, White Cross, Striper, Bride, and Guardian. There you go. There you yeah, go. <laughs> okay. So if that hits all of them for you, those were my heroes, you know, as a as a fourteen year old, and. Okay. Um, and it, and and apparently I set the bar way too low because that all happened very quickly, and so I didn't have my prayer requests were very limited after that. I was like, well, okay, what should I ask should've for now? Should have
0: dreamed bigger. You, you, you <laughs> should have you dreamed one way wish. bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so you fit into this tooth and nail story less fit in. It almost fits into your world. I mean, you were doing this band before there even was a tooth and nail. Yes. That's
1: incredible. That blows my mind.
0: So let's talk about while you're out there in the early Christian metal scene, you're one of the people that created this whole thing. You are one <laughs> of them, and your band is a part of that uh, because uh, man, you know that that's just, just the way it is. So can you tell me from your mind what when what your earliest memories of how you remember Tooth & Nail emerging when you first knew about it, what you thought about it? And then let's talk about across the time span. We don't have to limit it to that, but yeah, tell, well, to tell us your favorite music from the catalog.
1: I wasn't even aware that I was part of this Tooth & Nail phenomenon when I was listening to the early Tooth & Nail bands. When, when we first, you and I first started texting back and forth, I just kind of went and looked up the discography of Tooth and & Nail, and I was like, I owned that. Well, then I would say... I owned the tape, all right? So I was still Tapes. like, I was late to CDs, bro. Uh, very late, late 90s before I bought a CD player, you know? I was just cassettes all the way. Because, I, you know, when you have a collection of something, you know, it's just kind of like you get used to it. And I had all those early, like if it was sold in a Christian bookstore, man, my paycheck was going to whatever it was. It didn't matter how Christian it was or how mm-hmm. Christians in a band it was. If it was sold in the store, I was buying it. So focused... I I owned, you know, Wish for Eden. I owned. I even like threw on just after seeing (laughs) that uh, name. I even threw on some of it today, just to listen back again, and and it literally teleported, transported me back to 1994, you know, when that came out, and me being 18, and all of the mentality, which is so funny because I'm, I'm, I'm barely more mature than I uh, was then, you know, uh, all these years later. I still, (laughs) I still feel the same, but it just. You know how music, it just brings back, you know, all of these memories and just roads that I used to drive, you know, and things like that. Just uh, instantly hearing a song, I just started, you know, seeing all of these images in my head. It's beautiful. So Tooth and Nail is a huge part of my growing up, You would just go
0: into the record store and uh, buy these tapes. You bought focused oh, yeah. and Absolutely. For Eden, when they Absolutely. came out.
1: I mean, if I had the discography in front of you, I mean, it would be like most everything, you know. I Did mean, you
0: know what it was or Tooth and Nail or you just bought it because it was there I, and then later
1: figured was, it out? That's what I was meaning. Yeah, I didn't realize that I was, mm-hmm. you know, part of this phenomenon that is Tooth and Nail, you know, because that those were the first albums they were putting out, right, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't real. I just was like, more of just like, you know, really loved listening to Christian music and a huge Christian music fan and uh, was just consuming whatever was on the shelf, you know. Didn't realize it was it was part of ending up going to be this, you know, big big thing that Tooth and Nail became, which, you yeah. know, just this monster.
0: Yeah, I think Tooth and Nail is a big, big part of it, but I think of the scene as broader. I guess I use, I mean, it's pretty hard to define, but in my mind, I call it Christian uh hardcore punk indie right scene you know and 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 that has a pretty good border to it. I mean the bands all the way from disciple to some new tooth and nail band to other Christians making art today, they all have something they all know that they're the same in some way, but it comes out in a ton of different. Ton of different expressions, right?
1: So. so, so most of the punk stuff, I actually missed the boat on that, you know. So, like a lot of my friends, you know, they were they were all, you know, um, MXPX and, and all that, and I miss I missed the boat on that one. I, it's not it's not like it was intentional. I just uh, it's it's one of those things that I just never discovered. But like I'm looking down the discography here, and it's like focused, uh, plank eye, sometimes Sunday, the blamed. Still in the truth, it's Strong arm. Yeah. Anything that was really hard, I was like, oh yeah, baby. Um so it was just it was it was I mean almost Dave Sager, all all these bands it was just like, come on. This is amazing. But again, I didn't really realize You know, that it was just this and I mean this in a compliment, just the cult that Tutanel became you know mm-hmm. as it's no just doubt. it's i had no idea had no idea. I was an unwilling, uh, you know, unknowing participant in the cult. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's funny to me because I think of all these bands that you're just listing there as these legendary old school bands that are before my time. Okay. Uh, right, and I've been yeah. doing this for like 20 years almost. And, oh, yeah. No, I, was,
1: <laughs> I was there in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. They were to young them, like, bands coming up after you to they you. They were, well, here's the deal. I mean, so like we started <laughs> in 92. We put out our first album in 93, our second one in 94 and no one's ever heard them. So, mm-hmm. we don't we don't we don't let anybody hear those. You know, we say that our first album, which was really our third, came out in 1995 and we didn't mm-hmm. sign our first record deal until 97. So, in all reality, these bands were before me because mm-hmm. you know, we were just playing shows in Tennessee, East Tennessee, you know, just regional until like 96, 97. And, uh, and so anybody that ever comes up to me at a show and says, man, I've been listening to you guys since, you know, 93 or 94, you know, and we're in like Washington State. And I'm like, no, you haven't.
0: <laughs> 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 Trust me, you haven't, you know. Well, you're certainly contemporaries with all of the early bands. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, what, what struck your fancy the most. What's your favorite song in the Tooth & Nail catalog?
1: Favorite song ever. Well, yeah, I remember you asking me this in, in text, and it, it's more albums. I do have a favorite song. I'll get to it. But, I, you know, the number one Tooth & Nail album ever, Solid State, whatever it was, was um, Living Sacrifice, Reborn, and Reject is yeah. the – is the best song I've ever heard.
0: Ha! Yes! Tell me more. Why is it the best song?
1: Well, see, Living Sacrifice is like, they're just like, can do what, you know, most of us can't, right? You know, I mean, they can... They can play like most of us can't, you know, they're just, they're thinking in time signatures that are just, you know, not real, and they're otherworldly, and you try to, as a musician, you know, you're listening to Living Sacrifice, and as a musician, instead of sitting there enjoying the music, you're counting with them, you know, you're like, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, you know, and you're just counting with them. so pleasing in a musicianship sense but the best songs are always the easiest ones and you know ACDC, Highway to Hell, Back in Black those songs are always the ones that are just the best songs and Reject was that, it was one of their easier ones, it was a little more straightforward and it had a hook, you know and you just put it on and it was, it was money and the lyrics were just I mean, it's one of those, you know, you're just like, I wish it was mine. I wish I wrote that. Yeah. It's that, it's, it's that good. I mean, you put it on and it stands the test of time. When did that come out? Like 97? It stands the test of time. Like you put that song in right now. I don't care who you are. 2019, 22 years later. And whoever it is, is going to say that song is killer. That's. You know one of the best songs I've ever heard. It doesn't matter whoever you know whoever you're playing it for.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: ninety seven indeed, you're correct about that. Uh, so that's the interesting thing you said about it that you when you heard it, you wanted it to be yours kind of thing because that to me is a real important thing about it's kind of this thing where there's art that I see or view or hear and it's so good that it never occurs to me that I could do it whatsoever. <laughs> And then I hear stuff that's garbage sometimes, and think, "Well, I could do that." But the, my favorite, my favorite thing that compels me and makes me be a musician is when I hear my favorite thing that is amazing, and I feel like I think I could, I think I could do participate. That. I think I could do something right. like that, or I understand what it is. If right. you're so immersed in it that you actually get the art. And then can see yourself possibly participating. And what I mean, and that's what I think is the history of this scene that we're talking about is wait a minute. They can do that, and not as simple and easy, but they can do it, and they're regular people like me, and I can do it. And so let's try. And then things happen. Absolutely. That's to, to, so that's the feeling that you described there that I think is so important.
1: Uh, oh well, absolutely. Well, I mean, my whole childhood, you know, I am literally picturing myself, you know. I'm not, as a teenager. I'm not listening to a song and enjoying it. I'm also picturing myself performing this song, whether it's Bon Jovi or Cinderella or Living Sacrifice or whatever. You know, like in my mind, that was always just, you know, what I wanted to do. They were like, you know, what do you want to? Do? You need to go to college. It's like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> my mom was like, you need to, you need to go to college. I was like, no. I've this has been in my head. You know, I was sitting back in algebra class, you know, like creating album covers, you know, for my band. I wasn't, I couldn't, you know, solve an algebra problem to save my life.
0: So it's a big left turn to your second favorite Tooth & Nail artist or album or song or however you want to do it. But uh, And I know what it is, but go go ahead and give us the left turn now.
1: So my second favorite album from Tooth & Nail, and I don't even know if it was Tooth & Nail, B.E.C., whatever it was, is the Jeremy Camp uh, Stay album Uh, for so many reasons. I I really think... I really think that that album um see, it's hard to it's hard you have to go back you know to when it came out you cuz if you think in terms of right now you think of what Jeremy Camp is right now and you have to like you can't think that way you have to go back before he existed and and realize that there was no one that sounded like that when that album came out it was absolutely fresh and um, revolutionary, really. I mean, so he had this this voice that no other Christian artist had, you know, maybe Mac Powell a little bit, but this very Eddie Vedder, Creed-sounding, mm-hmm. you know, voice, and he's playing these Christian contemporary borderline worship songs that had this, you know, rock edge to it. So
2: take my we take my mind, take my soul,
1: I don't know, there was just something really in the moment. You know, it came out right in the moment of all those things, as opposed to like, you know, how Christian music is always trying to keep up with something that happened five years ago, you know? Uh, Or at least that's the way it used to be. And, um, you know, it was just so in the moment. And and every song was extremely powerful. And Jeremy had that uh, amazing testimony about. His wife and and all of that and and um, like I said you know before there there I had friends that were uh, you know struggling and you know trying to get out of being uh, addicted to drugs and really you know really hurting and, and just like and saying man you know you Kevin you like Christian music you know like you know what give me something to listen to. You know I, need, I, need to, I was like this is the album this is this is gonna speak to you you know and, and without fail you know everybody come back and be like man this is this is really you know this is really helping me and I, I mean I think that album is just every song just from start to finish you know well, uh, you just perfect vision, well, the beauty is over.
0: Okay, so this is, I think, really, really fascinating because this is where I think we can start to draw a distinction about... The different values and ethics and things within the scene. When I think that again, I think it sounds like it comes out of left field for people because you're supposed to be a metal guy. So you're first of all <laughs> saying stuff that's not metal, and then secondly, you're saying something that is BEC worshipy, and sometimes right. it gets it gets uh, you know criticized as youth groupy and and, and that kind of thing. Sure. But you seem to embrace it fully, and so I would like to know and and I know you're the way that you think about it. So uh, I'm going to put a pin in that for a second. and Say for you. And for a Disciple, another thing that is true is you are a completely sold-out ministry band and have been for 25 years, which is right. kind of rare, where a lot of bands in your scene would fluctuate from that or do this or change and that right. kind of stuff. You have such a focus there that I'm thinking, or I'm guessing, that the Jeremy Camp and the way you talk about the lyrics, that that stuff plays in, and that when you're talking about that being one of your favorite albums and all the songs and that you recommend it to people, that that Christian music accomplishes something important.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, you know, we, you know how it is. We all, we complain about the the weirdest of stuff, right? But when you're like hurting bottom of the barrel and you're looking for salvation and you find Jesus and it's brand new to you and you don't know all of this, the bull crap that we know of Christian culture and and church Mm -hmm. and all of that, you know, you just brand new, and you're you're like you're just wanting to not be on drugs anymore, and just not you know stop making a mess of your life, and just you know actually make a good decision today, you know, instead of like a thousand bad ones. And um, there's this influence in this these music that is different than any other music that you've ever heard. I mean, that's what that album was. You know, it was just this album that was just really capable of. Just you know ministering to people like that were that were hurting you know and I think that I think he wrote a lot of those songs how to out of hurt you know his wife uh, losing his wife you know dying and, and all of that and I mean those are the best songs when, when artists when we create something out of pain, you know it's just it's always going to transcend and move people.
0: yeah, and so I, I think that's interesting because in tooth and nail culture. It kind of goes into two general camps. One more about credibility and hipness. And sometimes that comes at the expense of inclusion because the other part goes toward youth groupy and accessible, but it's also, you know, very inclusive and welcoming. And sometimes those are at odds and sometimes not. But when I'm hearing you talk about that, it makes so much sense coming from your point of view. And it makes me think. How rotten it is to criticize something just because it doesn't have your aesthetic taste the way you like them. You know, it's just you're seeing something deeper there, and I I think that's. I wish more people could see that.
1: Well, it is the framework and the lens of how you view things. I mean, so like again, you know, I am barely more mature than what I was as a teenager, so I still think like I do whenever and uh, you know when I was 11 years old and and uh, the youth pastor, I was either 11 or 12. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure I was 11 because it was 1987. He handed me a w- White Cross's first tape. All right, and my mom was pissed. And when I say pissed, I mean like <laughs> really, I love really, it. I was in a recording really of it. Really pissed. the catchphrase in the 80s was satanic. Everything was satanic, right? You know, like, that was just it. And White Cross's first album was just, it was so heavy. I mean, in 1987, it was just, it was so heavy and so metal. And she was like, what have you done to my kid? You know, like, I can't believe this. You know, like, you have really screwed with my kid's brain and told them that this terrible, awful thing is something good, you know? And, um... And I didn't care about that. I was just like a little kid, and I was like, this sounds amazing, and I know oh, they're talking about Jesus, and so you gotta let me listen to it, because, you know, it's good. I really wasn't, you know, all worried about all those other things, but then, you know, the more I started listening to it, the more, like, it actually started to speak to me about following Jesus, and I I am an extremely impressionable person, and this is, you know, coming out in an interview. I mean, maybe this is too much, but I mean, like, so, like, if there, you know, if I was a teenager listening to a song about doing drugs, I would want to do that. If I was listening to Mm -hmm. a song about, you know, uh, having sex, I would want to do that. I mean, I would literally, like, music, just uber impressionable, okay, So, so, you know, if... Whatever I was letting in, it was going to have an effect. You know, people are always like, oh, I don't listen to the lyrics, you know, and that's, that's like, good for you, dude. I, I was not that way. I literally would just get lost in just this world in my mind of the lyrics. The lyrics were so important to me of, of every song. And so I remember what it was like going to my friends and my buddies and like just not saying a word. And see, again, you can't think in the lens of like today. Now there's just been this saturation of Christian rock music and hard rock music. I mean, in, in 1987, 1988, it just wasn't there. And I remember going to my buddies and just not saying a word and just putting it on and just kind of just watching them. And it almost like a, like a, like a bad word, you know, that Jesus would pop up and their eyes would be like, what? <laughs>
2: you know?
1: Beyond that and then getting to see some of those bands in like eighty eight you know I uh, saw striper for the first time and caught a Bible this is a hilarious story like uh I, they were
0: throwing uh, out Bibles
1: they were throwing out bibles uh New testaments with striper stickers on the front and I remember uh, I remember uh i was, I've always just been very courageous and and bold to a fault It, it always get me in trouble and i re- i remember I just climbed on the shoulders of some dudes Shoulders that I didn't even know. I was like, "Hey, you know, I was a little kid, what twelve years old in eighty eight, and uh and and uh, and I'm still a little adult too. I'm a very small person, but anyway, uh so like I, I was like, "Hey, can I get on your shoulders so I can see?" And he's like, "Sure." And he put me up on his shoulders, and they started passing out Bibles, and I caught the Bible, and the, I remember the guy going, "Hey, let's tear it in half, and uh you know, I'll keep one half, and you keep the other." And I was like so mortified by the the <laughs> idea of ripping a Bible in half. I literally like backed out slowly, you know, away from him to to where I just, I literally like stole his Bible. But, um, so I hope he's okay. I hope he's a Christian, but it's too late to go back and fix that one. But that was the first, you know, Christian band I saw. Then I saw Petra, I saw White Cross. And I remember these guys when they would talk from the stage They started like talking about Jesus, like something I'd never heard, you know, like, like he, he was, you know, really their Lord. Like they weren't up there for the ticket price that that, like Mm -hmm. they showed up to say, Hey, we're doing this thing. And we think that this is the answer to the world. You know, Mm -hmm. that we think that this is, we think that Jesus can save the world. We think that he literally died on a cross, you know, for you. And, like, they were there to actually win people to Jesus, to evangelize. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, first of all, they didn't have the support of the church back then. You know what I mean? So, you, you know, we criticize and say, oh, it's youth groupie or whatever. But these guys that came before us, man, they did not have the support of the church. They'd have churches outside picketing, you know, and, like, being like, these dudes are satanic, Right. And so they're taking a risk there, but then they're also taking a risk for the in front of these other kids who aren't Christians and saying, like, look, you know, this is, this is music that you like, but we're saying something that you're probably not used to hearing, and uh, we think this is the answer to, you know, your life. And I thought it was the most, most courageous, boldest thing I'd ever seen. And of course, you know, right after that, again, like I said, I'm 12, 13, 14, and playing in a band and played my first show at 14. I really didn't even consider being in a band any other way. My mentality as a fourteen year old is 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 the exact same as now I'm forty-three, that, you know, like this is just an amazing way to tell people about Jesus. And and so even when we write songs, you know, now we don't write every song about Jesus, but I, I definitely want to write it from that lens and that perspective of like what's real and what people go through you know and and like you know christians sin and christians um you know make mistakes christians do awful terrible things and so let's write a song about it It's not just about winning people who don't know Jesus. Uh, I've I've viewed the music that we create as like I just want to be the soundtrack for someone's life, you know, before they know Christ and when they come to know Him and and as they're about to, you know, be 90 years old and die. That we have a song for every single person of wherever they are in their journey. That's real and genuine and not not you know cookie cutter, but that's just like actually about something that's real and, uh, and what, what people go through.
0: Now, there's definitely music out there that I find to be no good and cookie cutter and false pretenses for why they're doing it, and right. all that stuff does exist. Uh, of course. I think you probably agree with that too, but I don't think your music is that way. How do you think about balancing, though, it's a really tough question, to how, how you balance art for its own sake or its intrinsic value versus its goal or its mission in effect?
1: Well, it's like what you said, it's it's all in the 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 lens that you view it through, view, view it through. I have never really bought into the I'm going to write this song to make money. Um or write this song to, you know what, it's just that just sounds so gross to me that like I just can't
0: But even I can't. to write a song within mind that it would minister to somebody or get somebody saved, is that not another commodification of an art or something.
1: I don't even write from that perspective either. Mm -hmm. Like I, I want to write, I just want to write something that's good. And that's what I always tell my guys. I don't want to, I don't want to say that we're going to, you know, can't write a country song or can't write something that's a little hip hop or can't write something that's metal or can't write a ballad or can't write a worship song or whatever, you know, people, people get caught up in genres and staying true to this. And I'm like, "No, no, no. Like I tell my guys this all the time. Like it, I just want it to be good. It can be, you know, we have a song on our new album that's called Misery, and it, it it doesn't point to Jesus at all. And it's literally just talking about somebody who is um, facing anxiety and depression to the point to where, you know, you talk to them, it's like, yeah, actually, I don't want to get better. I enjoy being miserable. I enjoy this because I don't feel like you're going to pay attention to me. I don't want help. I don't want to get better. experience where people come up to me after a show and they have these awful tragic stories that they that they'll tell and I'll give them a lot of uh, of attention and then they give their life to Christ and somehow you know two years later they still have all these awful tragic stories to tell and then three years later they still have more awful tragic stories to tell and at some point I'm like so tell me if there's anything good going on because at, at some point it's like do you do you think that I'll only pay attention to you if your life is a mess. Do you think that I'm only going to be nice and you know show you attention if your if your life is a mess? And so, you know, we you know writing songs like that, it's like I wouldn't be able to capture the essence of that mentality if I said you know you need to change that attitude. It's like I wanted to just really write a song about the essence of that and and not really offer any hope if that makes sense. So th- there you go. That's the that's the thing. It's like it just I just want it to be good.
0: So what? What wouldn't you write a song about? Like, what is outside? Like, I wouldn't do that because that doesn't connect to my mission or my goal or what disciple is or or something like that. What's too far? It just has to be
1: real, man. Dude, people know, like you said, when you say cookie cutter, and and I appreciate the compliment. You said you didn't think that we were like that. Um,
0: No, but let me tell you why. Is because every, I mean, uh, everything that you're saying is very consistent. It is true across time, as in multiple decades. It's clearly yeah. not o- opportunistic. Yeah. And the way that you're saying that you uh, related to lyrics and were affected by them, it's yeah. so clear that that's true that yeah. it only makes sense that you would take seriously what you're putting back out there in the same way. So it Absolutely. seems completely authentic to me, which is the rubric that I use. But I'm just wondering if you have a, a, a way of, of measuring what falls inside an outside, like what would be wrong for you? What would be a violation, or to, to uh, agenda-driven on one side, or to abandoning the gospel and ministry to scratch my own itch on the other side? What would those boundaries even be for somebody like you?
1: I, 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 I don't know how to answer the question. It's really about being real for me, and that's mm-hmm. that's it. Uh, you know, I think people they can they they can see BS. I mean, they just they can. You know, your, mm-hmm. your fans they know if the song's real. They know if. You're telling the truth. They know if it's authentic. You know they know if you're just. You know, like I'm gonna go out and do a worship album, and they're like, "What?" You know, it, it, you know, or it's like, "Oh, he's doing a worship album." You know, like you see what I mean? It's like one mm-hmm. of them's like, "What is he really?" And then one of them's like, "Oh, of course he is." You know, because that's who he is, right? And mm-hmm. so y- y- they know whether it, y- you're being real about something. And so uh, I think if I was writing something. That, you know, that wasn't really, I mean, people would just know immediately. So that, I mean, I think that's the the measurement, the barometer.
0: And so that limits you from being opportunistic either financially or for size or.
1: Well, I'll I'll tell you a quick, I'll tell you a a, a quick story. We were opening for um, uh, Cutlass in 2006 or 2007 in New York City. And it was a really big show in a theater. And um, Columbia Records was looking at us at the time to sign us. And, uh, we had, a we had our best album that we'd ever done was out at the time called Scars Remain. And, uh, it's, it's best by the best album we've ever done by small margin. And, and so we had a lot of momentum and I remember the A&R guy for Columbia Records coming out that night, our management flew up to the show and the record label flew up to the show. The booking agency flew up to the show. Like there were 30 people on our tour bus. So it was not comfortable. Right. And, um, I just remember, you know, two hours before we're getting ready to play and our manager uh, says, all right, Kevin, I know that you like to get out the Bible and kind of say, you know, a verse from the stage and say something about Jesus. But this A&R guy here tonight is um, he's he's Jewish and we don't want to offend him and we don't (laughs) want to we don't want to ruin your shot. And, uh, and so we're, and he, and he just said it like, like this. And I, he said, so we're not going to be reading the Bible tonight and we're not going to be saying the name Jesus tonight. (laughs) I love it. And I mean, I was like, again, you got to understand I, I'm still, I'm still 14 in my mind. Right. And I was like, are are we in Sunday school right now? This feels like a Bible story. You know like you know Satan taking Jesus up on mm-hmm. top of the thing and says, "Hey man, look, I'll sh- look at all this stuff right here. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this stuff." And I was going, "This this is too obvious, guys. Like say, are obvious, you seriously? Right? Like yeah. are you like <laughs> all I have to do?" to get signed to Columbia records. Like this is going to be the answer to all my problems and all my dreams are going to come true, you know, and and all this, if all I have to do is just not read a Bible verse (laughs) and not say Jesus from the stage tonight. And bro, it was, it was literally the craziest experience I've ever had because nobody was on my team. When I say nobody, 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 not a band member, not a booking agent, not a record label, not a manager. I mean, I was literally alone. And, and all those people are great people, and all those people are Christians, and they all love Jesus, right? And they're all good people. So I, there's nothing bad I could say about them. But all of them were like, yeah, just don't say, don't read it, and just don't say <laughs> it tonight. What's the big deal? And in my mind, I was going, well, I'm going to say it tomorrow. He's going to find out, and I'm not going to stop saying it. Like I don't know what y'all, if y'all, this is like a stepping stone to like to not sing songs about Jesus, but like I got one life, and everybody else can do what they want with theirs, but this is what I'm doing with mine, you know, and like I'm I'm standing up there tonight for a reason because if there's one person out there that doesn't know Jesus, I believe he can change their life. You know, and I know that there's a lot of I've, I've been a messed up Christian and a screwed up Christian, like you say. Once we're a Christian for a long time, we we get jaded and we say all these kind of things. But for people who don't know Him, they don't know all that yet. And He still is the answer, and He still is the Son of God, and He still did die for their sins, and He still can change their life and. Uh, music is just a powerful thing that can reach people The gospel is a powerful thing that can reach people And you combine these two powerful things You have something that is Magical and special And that's just, I view it through that lens And so I did say The name of Jesus that night and I did read a Bible verse And we didn't get signed to Columbia Records So, you know uh, But thank God we, we did get signed to Tooth & Nail Records So there you go Worse
2: than a hypocrisy.
0: So, I bet you already know that hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having a hard time finding qualified applicants, so he switched to Zip Recruiter, which is what you need to do as well. Zip Recruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you, which is terrific. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and it invites them to apply for your job, so you get qualified candidates. Fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said that he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidate supply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones, which is a very, very nice feature to have. And that is how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. So with results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate. Within the first day. So you gotta see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. You gotta try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address. That's ziprecruiter.com slash labeled. ZipRecruiter.com slash L-A-B-E-L-E-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash labeled. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you've mentioned more than once that you're the same as you were when you're 14. So that could be good and bad, but I was oh, gonna choose. It's mostly that. bad. It's mostly bad. <laughs> well, I think it's good in the sense that uh, and you have a song called First Love that I heard you talk about on another podcast that mm. made me think of this, even though you said the meaning of the song's a little bit different. But to me, one of the things I had written down when I started this podcast was the, the the term first love. And it was uh it was to me, it's the things that seem important are the things that people do for their own internal motivations that they just intrinsically that it's worth doing and that seems to have not changed for you and the thing that you keep pursuing on the other hand of course p- people should change since they're 14 if that and most people do <laughs> most people don't stay consistent like you have across right. this amount of time i wonder if you have any insight into that because most people lose their way or ch- or at least change their way significantly
1: it's well i mean i i I, you know, have definitely sinned great sins. You know, since I was 14 years old, I've always been like, if if I'm gonna go big or go home, right? <laughs> you know, so if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do something awesome, I, it's gonna be really awesome. If I'm gonna sin, it's gonna be a really big sin. Um, and so I, I'm not. I, I have been consistent in my passion, but I, I've definitely not been consistent in you know uh, being perfect, you know, a perfect Christian. Uh, But that's that's the, the beautiful thing, too, that I that I really love to to tell people is that this whole Christianity thing is really about a relationship and having God as a father and me as his son. And it is not performance based, you know, and I have I'm thankful for every mistake I've made. And extremely thankful for the lessons that I've learned. And even though I still have that same 14 year old mentality with certain things, um, you know, like you said, I've, I've grown up and matured in things being able to say no and not just being able to say yes. Uh, and even though I have all of this freedom in Christ, uh, which is wonderful, and I'm so thankful for all this freedom I have in Christ, which means I can, you know, do most most things, you know, I choose to say no to a lot of things because, you know, I want to be a good father and I want to be a good husband and I want to be a good singer in a band and I want to be a person that if I'm if I'm talking about Jesus, that people actually listen, you know. And the things that we say yes to and the things that we say no to matter whenever you're having those conversations with people because we always, that's how we view it. We're like, this person's saying this to me. Now I'm going to actually try to determine what, you know, their honesty and integrity. And if this is real or not, that's just how we do it. We don't mm-hmm. want to, that's we right. all judge. We don't want you to judge, help but right. you just do. And if somebody's just being honest and saying, look, you know, like I, I've, I'm, I've majorly screwed up, but that wasn't the end for me. You know, God still had ministry in mind for me, even after my sin, even after following him for 10 or 15 years. And you just have this huge mess up and mistake scandalous thing and you're like well, I've messed it up it's all over and it's like no no no, no. I'm living proof it's not it's not over you know uh, I,
0: I'm not sure if you're referring to anything specific if so I don't know but have you had some scandal or major mess up that you talk about
1: Oh, I mean, not that I ever really talk about. You know, I've been to jail and in, in Disciple. I've, you know, uh, assaulted somebody. And <laughs> those kind of things. it's uh, probably you know. not the
0: worst thing you've done, but it sounds interesting. Why don't you tell it's me? It's
1: definitely not even close to the worst thing that I've done. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I thought I really screwed it up. You know, I guess, I don't remember when that was. It was early 2000s. Um, and it's funny and people, it sounds like I'm like bragging about it and I, I'm embarrassed of it, you know, but it's, this is one of the sins that I don't mind talking about. He's like, yeah, I, I, uh, I shot a dude with a paintball gun, um, maliciously shot him, not having fun shoot him, but maliciously he showed up at his work and just lit him up.
0: <laughs> what did he do and, to uh, deserve it?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, he yeah was the guy that my, that my girlfriend like uh, cheated on me with. So yeah, I, I went and sought him out and... And put about, I don't know, <laughs> the police report said about 39 uh, paintball pellets in him. I think that that was a very conservative estimate
2: of and, and how, where much, was
1: how many place times I actually work? shot him. I That doesn't matter. It's a big parking <laughs> lot. It's a big parking lot. Let's we'll just say that. Like probably 400 cars in the parking lot. We'll just say that.
0: And you caught him on his way out of a shift or in? I sure did.
1: I sure did. <laughs> Well, he kept calling me and bugging me and he knew that I was a Christian and knew that whatever and I just I, I literally told him I was just like dude I love Jesus with all my heart but if you call me one more time I am coming for you and uh, he called me again this is after like you know like 40 <laughs> times of calling me and uh, cause he kept rubbing it in he's like you know I, I got with your girlfriend and just kept rubbing it in and it's like oh, I got awful. it I got it dude I got it you win You're you win and uh
0: did that and, seem to like the legal stuff and the, uh, was that maybe going to threaten the band or yeah you to well, that absolutely.
1: well absolutely well and, absolutely and plus i mean it was just it was really just an awful thing to do to somebody and i actually you know i apologize he took me to court and sued me and all that and i apologized to him at court and of course that doesn't mean anything when you apologize in court it doesn't really matter but no, then like no. he, years later i like saw him by myself with his brother and i was defenseless and. And courageously, like, at least in my mind, I was like, because they could, they could kill me here. I I walked up to him again, man. It was like, like, for real, that was, that was wrong. I I shouldn't have done that, man. And, uh. They accept it? And. I don't think so, but they didn't kill me, so uh, you know. So there is, there is, there is the silver lining to that.
0: That's a but, good story, Kevin.
1: But I'm just a passionate person, you know. It goes, it goes both ways. I'm very passionate, you know. And so I can get angry. I can lose lose my temper, and I think that's why you say there's this consistency is because you know passion kind of helps fuel that. You know, I'm I'm very passionate about Jesus. I my I, I've just seen it. I just have a track history of him being miraculous in my life over and over again and extremely merciful to me. And so it's very easy for me to talk about God's mercy because I've experienced it on such a deep level.
0: Well, let me say another thing that seems to uh, work out in your benefit, given that you know what you do and stay consistent with it. And as part of your longevity is this music business has changed over and over oh and gosh. over again and dis- disciple and you just you just keep rolling through with whatever it is because I suppose you're focused on Jesus and music. And it doesn't matter if it's a label or this label or a major label or crowdfund or tooth and nail. I mean, how do you... Is that is that stuff never been... You know, people get caught up in, I want to be signed or I have all this identity stuff, but is the way I'm saying it sound right to you? That yeah, it's just absolutely. Those things just are transient and they're going to change again, so roll with it.
1: I have always told every... um now, now, you know the beautiful thing is, is not everybody in the band is me, you know, and has my mentality, and so we all, you know, are, are a blend and a, a balance of of one another. Um, and for me, y- you have hit on what is most important to me, and so I always tell people that we're working with, you know, record labels, and just let them know I don't have a a mainstream aspiration, you know, in my body at all. Just I, it. But at the same time, um, if we have songs that work for it, that, that's kind of the thing for me. I don't want to intentionally write a song that works for that. But if I write one that works for that, then that's awesome, you know. Um, and we've had some, some, you know, just some dabbling in some mainstream, you know, just like some of our songs got picked up uh with wwe we got to be on cyber sunday and ecsi miami and criminal minds and things like that when the lights go up when the
2: game is on you ready for me
1: was really super cool you know and some uh, some baseball games NFL and this this kind of thing and 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 that was all really great I think for me it was more of like I just didn't want to write a song that you know on purpose for that and because here's the reason here's the reason because anytime we ever tried to do that you know write a song for radio or whatever it was always garbage anytime we mm-hmm. always like sat down and intentionally tried to do it, it was always garbage. But anytime we were just writing something that we liked and that we felt passionate about, and then it would, it would like do, it would do well. And I was like, well, let's just do that. Let's stop trying to make something for somebody. And let's just write stuff that we like and that we think is good, you know, because you sit down with all these co-writes and they're always trying to use these words and whatever. And it just turns out like, it's like, that's not what I would say, you know? Right. And it just, um, so I just I just decided to just quit doing that, you know.
0: And I think uh, that's a weird world. I mean, the more I mean, it's, it sounds attractive. At some point, you're writing songs, and you go, "Oh, you can do these co-writes and stuff." But yeah, when you get down to it, it's something about that really strips away the idea of connecting to a person, being vulnerable. It's like, oh, these are words and topics and things, and we're all going to collaborate. It's not it's collaboration, but it's kind. Of, I mean, it's some some step removed because you by the time you're doing those co-writes, and I hadn't done but a couple, I did not really enjoy it for that reason, but. They're They're hard. They're very difficult. You're you're doing something not as yourself for somebody else. There's one step of removal there that I've lost my, you know, it's fine for a lot of people, but I've lost my tether to what it is I'm supposed to be doing once you get to that point.
1: My brain hurts. Um you know, when I leave, every time, you know, my wife wants to have a conversation with me or whatever, like when I leave a co-writing, I'm like, but I, I can't, I have no words for you right now. <laughs> so let me, <laughs> let me just like sit here in silence for an hour because, you know, whenever you're writing by yourself or with, you know, one of the dudes in your band that you're comfortable and, you know, and you can just like come up with ideas and this and that, but whenever it's just a complete stranger in the room and they're like, no, I don't like that. And I'm like, all of a sudden you start trying to write the song for them and you're trying right, to please, right, please exactly. them and trying to come exactly. up with an idea that they think is or cool or show and,
0: off or prove something oh god to, what? it's just exhausting yeah totally.
1: absolutely exhausting or if you have an idea that you know is awesome and they're not into it and you're just like oh man come on get me out of here <laughs> Give me a, and I've done that. I've done that. I mean, on 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 two of our songs, you know, I won't say which ones, just in case he's he's not listening. To this it doesn't matter. Uh, on on dear ex is probably our biggest song. You know, I knew the way that I wanted to sing it, and I knew some things that I wanted to say, and um, and it has some like really Def Leppard kind of influences on it. You know, uh, where there was just some things I heard in my head that it needed to happen this way and that way, and, and it's like you know in the co write they're just. I guess it's their only chance to write it the way that they want to write it, so they feel like they have to kind of be yeah. in control a little bit. And I, I get that; I get, I, I got grace for that. But I just wasn't feeling it. I knew, I knew it needed to go a certain way. I felt it needed to go a certain way, and so I just didn't fight in the room. And I just waited till I got to the studio, and I was like, "Let's do this," you know. And uh, yeah, so that's what makes co writes tough is when you really believe in something, and somebody's just kind of like, you know not feeling what you're feeling it makes it tough
0: so you've done uh major labels you've done indie labels crowdfund got a dove award been on tour with everybody just done everything worked with howard benson i mean he's just done so much stuff yeah talk tell me about how it what it's like to go crowdfund and then let's talk about the new album on tooth and nail uh
1: yeah crowdfunding uh have you guys ever done that crowdfunding Mm
0: Yep. So, kind of do it perpetually. <laughs> uh, perpetually, okay. Yeah, we're trying to get it more in the perpetual state where we're working all the time. I'll give the plug here. I never even talk about my band as much. I try not to talk about my band too much. Oh, I, I but I opened the it. door. Now you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> we do a thing called Emory Land where we're making music year round and putting it out to the members year round. And then it'll eventually be an album that the public gets. So, we're That's just kind awesome. of trying to. So, one make, song just, at a time? Well, we do batches of four, and we try to stream okay. the stream it and just get those. So we're doing them in EPs, and the the members have that. So we are perpetually funded, and it keeps us in the studio all year round. Every how year.
1: have we never so. played a show together? Have we not? I mean, I remember meeting you guys at a hotel one time, and so I think we played maybe like a festival together, like maybe yes. like you know. Yes,
0: we have. I've seen you before. I know. So it must have been at festivals. We've not done a tour, although Wikipedia says you had a tour with Ivory Line and Emery, which is not true.
1: But it's I see not it right true here on the page, <laughs> dude. Wikipedia is so false. I have to keep up with it like every every year because there's there's all these things that get said on there, and I'm like, that never happened. Yeah. So obviously, I haven't read it in a minute. Uh To answer your question, dude, crowdfunding made me so nervous.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, yeah, we're okay. Every artist, I don't care who they are, is insecure. We're mm-hmm. all very, very insecure. And and if you think about it, like our whole life is about trying to get people to like us, you know, social media, you know, as an artist, that's like, that's all we're trying to do is like, I want to put out a song and I hope people like it, you know, right. and I want, I want to say this thing and I hope people like it. I want to do this podcast and I hope people listen to it. And Not only listen to it, but I hope they actually like it, right? Yeah. And so, we're constantly, whenever, you know, we hear criticism, I mean, it. we hear the criticism way worse than we hear the praise, you know, because of our insecurities of always just trying to please everybody. So, like, crowdfunding is the biggest anxiety-ridden thing because you find out really quickly whether people like you or not. And when you're first doing it, you don't know. Mm-hmm. If you've never done it before, you're like... I hope they actually (laughs) want to do this. You know, you'll, you'll find out if people like your band or not.
0: Well, you knew they like your band. You raised like a hundred thousand dollars and you got one of the best band bases out there.
1: I didn't know that though. See, that's what I'm saying. Like when you, you, when you just go back to the guys, when we were like having our first conversations, I was scared to death. (laughs) I was absolutely like throw up, nervous, scared to death, man. And, um, yeah, because it's just I don't know, what it's like what if they don't? What if nobody wants to, you know, do it, right? And uh and and they did. And so, and even the second time around, you know, um it's like, "Okay, they did it this once, but what if they didn't like that last album? Then they're not going to do it this time." You know what I mean? There's always just that anxiety whatever so I was just I was like I don't want to do this crowdfunding thing anymore let's do this you know let's sign a let's sign a deal and let Tooth and Dale put it out because man this is just too I can't I can't handle the uh the you know the, the it's crowdfunding it's a lot of stress thing. I need to is. I need to like take a break from it because of how stressful it is of like you know uh trying to trying to sell yourself I mean I'd much rather put out the songs and and see if people like them you know um but it's, t- it's it's. I mean, maybe I'll maybe we'll do it again one day. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But uh, it was a great experience minus that part. You know, right? It was a great experience that we found out. You know, our fans fans do like us. And our fans do support us, and they're 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 so amazing and wonderful.
0: Terrific to see you know bands, the music industry stabilize. Like there was a crash, there was an economic crash for the whole world, and then specifically the music industry one happened on top of that, and it was a really scary time. And it ended m- about 2008. A lot, yeah, yeah. It ended yeah. most bands or something. Then there's streaming, or it, it seems like most bands, but I I think most of those bands that were around then aren't now. So the ones that made it have seen the industry stabilize, and streaming actually makes money, and labels make more. At some point, we didn't, weren't sure if labels made sense at all. Now it looks like yep. they're restabilizing and able to do some pretty cool things. And to have Disciple on tooth and nail is just a terrific thing. I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense and it's it's really thrilling. Tell us about the new album itself. You want to talk you wanna show a song and talk about it? Sure. You know,
1: um it's it's definitely the um the darkest album that we've ever done. Um, you know, we have a lot of fans and I think everybody's fans really I don't think that we're unique in this, just to have a lot of um This is the culture today is struggling with anxiety and depression and and, and suicidal, you know, temptations and um, things like that. And, you know, uh, our drummer is very open and vocal about his struggle with depression. And so we kind of just like walking uh, with him, you know, through that. And uh, it just seemed like every time we were picking up the pen, that's kind of what we were writing about. You know, Mm -hmm. it was very different for us to kind of just. Delve into just a little bit more darker territory where we weren't so hopeful every single song, you know. And um, it, it was uh, it was good. I'm, I'm really, again, through the lens of how people listen to the song. I'm really looking forward to seeing how these songs, you know, uh, minister to people and seeing you know the the kind of uh, reaction from it. Uh, one of the songs that I really loved writing was a song called Reanimate, and uh, it's probably the heaviest song that we've ever written. Right written a lot of songs about you know the the cross of christ and uh, over the years over <laughs> two decades plus of how long we've been a band and um i got to thinking about the cross of christ one day just about like when i think about it it's just this beautiful um thing that jesus did for us right and i think about it it's just this very loving and just it's just beautiful right uh, i came across this verse you know it's like he who knew no sin became sin for us and so I was like, okay, he became sin. Well, what does that mean? And then I just started thinking about the worst possible words in the English language. I started just thinking like child molestation, like it's just completely awful or like rape, you know, and genocide or whatever. And it's like, who, who, when anybody thinks of the cross of Jesus, or you look at a cross who, who immediately like puts rape right there, but alongside of that, you know, you just don't, right? Nobody does, you know, uh, and why would you, or, you know, murder or anything like that. And then you come across this first and it's like, wait a second. That's, that's what, that's what happened. He who knew no sin became rape for us, Mm -hmm. became child molestation for us and became all these things. It's like, he didn't just die for, you know, the victim. He died for the abuser as well. He died for everybody. He got it. It's like nobody gets left out in this thing. And I started thinking about this thing. I was like, wait a second. I've always thought that the cross of Jesus was like a really big deal. And then all of a sudden I was like, it's way bigger than I've ever, you know, given it credit for. (laughs) It's like, oh, my gosh, this is like that's like I've never heard it like said like that. And I just wanted to write a song about it, you know, about like, dude, like it is it's everybody. You know, because nobody wants to give hope to, you know, someone who's committed these awful, atrocious, you know, sins. We, we definitely lean towards, uh, you know, passion, compassion for the victim. Uh, but Jesus, like, he said, no, I'm coming for everybody. I'm coming for everybody. I'm here to change everybody's life. And I was like, man, I want to write a song about that. I want to write a song how, like, dude, it is not too late because we got a bunch of messed up uh, people guilty of a lot of messed up stuff and everybody's, you know, um, putting them down for what they've done and they get labeled and that's it. And they, they, they get a name on them, you know, and I hear Christians do it too. I, I, I hear Christians. It just drives me nuts, man. And my band knows it. I hear Christians. They'll be like, Oh, I didn't know blah, blah, blah was a cheater. And I'm like, dude, I get fired up when I hear somebody say that, you know, put a, put a label on somebody. And I, cause I'm just like, this, this born again thing is real, man. You know, it's like, it's, there's no labels in, in being a child of God. That label gets stripped off of us and it's done. And, uh, and so like, I just, I, I wanted to write a song about that. This he's, he came for everybody.
0: Well, that, that's, for everybody. Just too, that's just too much, Kevin. I mean, I, I we have to end there and, and on that <laughs> note, because what I'm hearing you say is that the guy's been doing this for over 30 years since he was 12, who, at that time Was obsessed with Communicating Jesus to people And making Christian metal In 2019 At age 43 Has just realized How massive and crazy The gospel really is <laughs> Given a massive gospel presentation And written the heaviest song He's ever written <laughs> Who knew It would take this long <laughs> Too long For you to re- to do that uh, Not the smartest <laughs> Oh my gosh That's so such an example Of the fire you have Because it's the same thing That you were trying to do Where you're yeah. 14 years old And yeah, you're man. still doing it And at a higher and higher Better level It's well said Well put The song is great The album is great It's called Love Letter Kill Shot And uh, if you've if you're Made this far in this interview And are interested In that stuff Then obviously You should already know about it And have it saved In Spotify Whatever Buy it on Apple Music Amazon MP3 You guys got tour dates And other stuff going on?
1: Yes. Okay. So when this comes out, we're on tour uh, with uh, Paradise Now, a tooth and nail band, and um, also Relentless Flood. And so we're very, very excited. uh, And, you know, going to be gone from home for a while. So Mm -hmm. pray for our our families and our our kids while we're gone, because, you know, back in the day, it was easy. But now, you know, it's it's Uh, uh, tougher. You know, you know how it is. It's like, so we're going to be gone for a while and they're going to be roughing it and being a single mom while uh, while we're gone.
0: Yes, and uh, I imagine you're the kind of guy that's available at the shows and meets people. That's pretty obvious. So another reason to go out to the show. I'm not, Absolutely. I'm not guaranteeing everybody will get to meet you, but I. But I, am I correct in that you're available around the show? If they if they
1: if they want to, there's a great yeah. chance. If they don't want to, then uh, they don't have to. Yeah, yeah, we we definitely make ourselves available.
0: Good. That's a that's an important thing, and uh, you know, it, it's just obvious to me that you're not a jaded. Uh, anything. You're you're legit guy, very authentic, and the music's great, and your passion's great, and good luck to you. I'm gonna be following your lead and paying attention to see if we can do this for another twenty. Come or 40 on, baby. Years. Come
1: on, baby. Well, let me say this yeah. about just Christian music before before we hop off here. I I know almost everybody that's around, and I don't really have a bad thing to say uh, about anybody uh, in in the Christian music business. And, uh, I'm honestly just honored to, to be a part of it. You know, like I can't believe that we're still doing this freaking thing. You know, it's been, it's been this long I can't believe people still listen to our music. I can't be, believe people still come to shows and, um, I can't believe we get to play, you know, shows with all these great bands and, and I get to, you know, call these, these guys, my friends, you know, it's a, uh, it's a dream come true. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And, um, uh, and so we're just, you know, really thankful and grateful to be around still doing this. Keep at it. Keep on. Yes, sir. You too, baby. Give me the penalty for
2: against
3: My name is Tyler Holden from Jackson, Mississippi. I'm a labeled member, and my favorite tooth and nail, or solid-state band of all time is fit For King. Matt Carter is our host. Editing and story by Matt Carter. Sound design and production manager by Raven Hanson. Our executive producer is Brandon Evil. Special thanks to Adam scatula Tyson Paley, and Marshall Frimont. Tooth and Nail record This podcast is made possible by Jesse Baseball. Photographer I was Nick I W A S N I C on Instagram. Creative. VistaCoaching.com Chris Holmes, follow him on Instagram at frozen underscore cellmate, and the rest of the members of the label community on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor like Jesse, your brand band, brand, or nonprofit, find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Thank Thanks.